All right. Hello, everybody. This is Flea Market Fantasy number 14. This is your co-host, Mike L. And as always, I'm joined by... Michael Dell of the LCS Hockey Radio Show. That's right. And this week is my pick. And I decided to go back to the very first comic book that Michael Golden ever drew. And if you don't know who Michael Golden is, we'll talk about him later. But he's one of my favorite artists. And we picked uh, Batman number 295, drawn by Michael Golden and written by Jerry Conway. Um, and uh, that's pretty much it. Like, um, I've never read this story before. Um, I know that you're not a big DC fan, but you have read some <laughs> Batmans, right? Uh, so, yes, in my childhood. Yeah, so uh, so what's your initial impression going into this comic before even reading it? Were you hesitant? Yes. <laughs> Why, just because it said DC on the cover? And it's one of your picks. If oh, anything boy. I've learned over the you know the 14 weeks of doing this podcast, your picks are terrible. Every oh, week they're terrible. except this time, right? Uh, no. All right. So oh, this boy. is. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay. Michael, at times like these, Michael, it's good that we're recording this show in separate countries. Oh, yeah? Because if you were anywhere in the continental United States, I would drive to your location and punch you right in the jeans. In the jeans, eh? <laughs> yep. Oh this boy, book, this is terrible. Right. I, have, I have I have a lot to say and it's all good. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> all right, this is from 1978, mm-hmm. and uh, the the title th- this title will let you know what you're in. You know you got ahead of you. The Adventure of the Houdini Who Done It. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> but you know what's even better? What about the pun on the cover? Yes, let's talk about the cover. Uh, describe the cover image for everybody, Michael. So this is drawn by Jim Aparo. We have Batman jumping towards someone holding a flaming sword and he's about to impale a girl with it and as batman's jumping he's saying back off batman or this magic show becomes a tragic show <laughs> it's terrible see what he did there it's great <laughs> yeah like the it, it's uh clearly like a magician because his face is is uh shaded because it's a mystery right. you don't want to know who it is but there's a lady like floating so mm-hmm. it's kind of like a magic trick and her uh, her chest <laughs> is towards the camera. Superhuman, and, yeah. And she is stacked. Yes, she is. Yeah. Fine gravity. <laughs> so I think mm-hmm. you got to give the kids what they want. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I don't know this cover. Yikes! I'm a big not fan a good, of dialogue. Great, I'm a big a fan cover. of the dialogue balloons on covers. But yeah, magic show becomes a tragic show. That's that's bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's real bad. Now apparently the editors usually are the ones that wrote that cover copy so we should blame who's the editor julius swartz so there you go we'll blame him <laughs> and then uh on the next page here the big splash page uh we, we get a description of uh batman and what's going on here but we see on the left side of the page we have uh five two three four yeah five little boxes of people's faces mm. and they they introduce the different characters right uh, we have David Hampton, the angry magician. Glenn Falkenstein, the mysterious mentalist. Martin Monroe, the ambitious apprentice. Lisa Morrow, the sultry psychic. I love it all. Yeah. She doesn't really look very sultry. Uh, <laughs> Winston Bennett, the taciturn manager. I don't even know what taciturn means, but I uh, like uh, stern. Like uh, okay. Not like speak a quiet, stoic. Okay. All right. So uh, then on the right side of the page, we have um, Batman who his hand, he's his back is to the camera and his hands are chained behind him and he's in a water tank. And then there's a man in the shadows. And what, what does he say to Batman, Michael? Even Houdini himself couldn't have escaped this death trap, Batman. For interfering with my plans, I condemn you to die. Yes. So this is, and this is essentially another cover, right? It's like we talked about DC yes. kind of had two covers. Yeah, I was going to bring story. that up because uh, when we did that Brave and the Bold, we, we mentioned this as well. Yeah. It, it's weird. Why were they doing this? I really have no idea. Honestly, I don't. Because this, um, this splash page, it jumps ahead. Like, it put, tell, it ruins what's going to happen. It, it, I guess it, you could say it teases it, mm-hmm. uh, that Batman's going to end up in this tank. But yeah, then the next page, completely unrelated to this splash page. Yeah, it's weird because Marvel ha- has always had splash pages. 
But the splash page was just the first panel of the story. It was just really big. But yeah, this is like another cover. I, I don't really know why they did that, to be honest. I have no idea. And, uh, well, two other things I want to talk about. Uh, okay. Right at the, uh, over there on the right side, you see created by Bob Kane. Real big. Right. Kane. No Bill Finger anywhere. Bob no, I think, I think Bob Kane, he was the only guy that had the contract where he kept yeah. his name on the character forever. Yep. Uh, but the other thing, Mike, uh, we, we, you've made seven picks, all right? Mm -hmm. Seven mm -hmm. picks for this podcast so far. In two of them, mm -hmm. there have been people trapped in a Houdini water torture trick. Well, hey, <laughs> if, it, if a trope works, then you use it, right? Why not? <laughs> but what is going on at DC that, <laughs> that we've had two random issues with Houdini water? The other one was Mr. Miracle that you had mm -hmm. picked, where he was stuck in a water torture thing. That's a good question. <laughs> what the hell, Michael? Now, if if we hit three times, we'll know there's a problem. But for yeah, now, right. it's just coincidence. Okay, yeah, it's it's just a coincidence. It's not a pattern. All right. So uh, now we get chapter one, a riddle. The, the story's divided into three chapters. Yes. <laughs> Why don't you explain the plot for everyone, Michael? So, okay. First of all, before I even get into this, the the interesting thing about this comic for me. And one of the reasons it's so good is because <laughs> it's almost impossible to summarize the plot without describing like every panel. No, so, it's real easy to summarize the plot. Oh, you think so, eh? You it's think not so? Not that hard. Okay. Well, I'll do my best here. So Batman intervenes on a sort of a typical, you know, Batman-ish crime. There's a couple. There's a three hoodlums with guns. He beats them up, and then once he's uh, he's dealt with them he um he uh he run rendezvous with commissioner gordon who's come to the scene of the crime to talk to him about something that's going on and so basically he explains that there's been a murder and blah 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 and so then he has to go and talk to this group and this is what's weird is i don't know if this group are recurring characters or not i'm not sure if you found that out but they talk to them as if they're recurring characters yeah maybe I was they're ask yeah. you because i figured you would know but uh, yeah, tell tell everybody their name. Uh, the the mystery, name. the mystery analysts of Gotham City. The mystery analysts of Gotham yeah. City. Yeah, this is a club apparently that Batman hangs out in. And right. uh, we have. Do you want to go through the members here? Sure. We have K Day. K Day. Uh, K Day, Martin Tellman, and Art Sados. Well, well, K Day is a best-selling mystery novelist. Yes. And, and then Martin Tellman. Uh, continues to solve crimes as an armchair detective. So that's always helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, Art Sadows, <laughs> Sados, uh, he uh, still produces the best crime investigation column in any newspaper. Yeah. And also, this is during a time when, you know, Batman was kind of in between the Adam West version and like the movie version. So he's like got his blue costume and he's just standing there and not broad daylight, but he's just standing there with yeah. all these other guys chatting. Yeah, he's right? just so. hanging out with all these other folks. And, right. uh, well, the one kid, uh, the, the armchair detective, he says, uh, too bad Hugh Ranklin couldn't be here. Yeah. Who's, who's, who's Hugh Ranklin? Like, do you know who that is? No, I have no idea. <laughs> now, here's I have no clue. So here's the thing. I've read scattered issues of Batman from this era, but not many. And this was Jerry Conway's first issue. So yes. it's possible he just introduced these characters here. I have no idea. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I would have to think that these, this has to be an ongoing thing. We'll have to look into that. Yeah. This is the part of the show where we Google things. Yeah. Do you want to Google it? You want me to Google it? Well, I already got to one of the pages caught up here. So okay. let me see. Uh, mystery. Oh, no. This is the mystery analyst of Gotham City's final appearance. Oh, really? <laughs> Interesting. Okay. So thank God. What is history? Um. <laughs> uh, well, hey, they left wanting more, right? It's the way to do their it. Their first appearance was on Batman 164. Whoa, okay, from, okay. From June 1964. Uh, former members included, uh, let's see, besides the people already mentioned, uh, Clark Kent and Jimmy Olsen was an honor. <laughs> okay, okay. I want to see who Hugh Ranklin is. Let me click on his name because, uh, or Hugh Rankin, because they seem very concerned that Hugh Rankin isn't there. So I'm almost thinking like maybe this is a, a superhero or something, but um, no, he was a private investigator. Yeah, that's it. Sold. I love it. Such a, I, 
I was thinking that? Might have, that might be a secret identity, like Hugh Rankin, and then he secretly is a superhero, and they didn't know, but no. Just a private investigator. Oh. So. Uh, this is terrible. All right. <laughs> I love, I love anyway, okay, so so back to the crime. So basically now on, Batman finds out there's not, there has not been one murder, but three, okay? Yes. And so each of these people, these members of this group, have witnessed a different uh, different murder. And so the first guy describes being in a, uh, in a store and walking out and coming across the body, the dead body of a woman, okay? So a woman's yep. lying there with red hair. Okay, so then the police come, the police, uh, the, the, the EMS or whatever they call the paramedics cover up her body, load it into the ambulance. Then, just as that's happening, a guy comes running down the street. You killed her, she's dead, and you killed her. There's all this commotion, there's fisticuffs, and then once the police subdue, oh no, they don't subdue the guy, the guy gets away. Yeah. So the, the guy gets away, and then everyone goes back to the business, they close up the, the door of the ambulance, they drive away, but when they get to the Gotham morgue, the woman's body is gone. Yes. Awesome mystery. Anyway, so I'm already, see, I'm already sucked in, Mike Dell. Okay, I'm okay. sucked in. So now... The next guy gives his uh, what like the, he gives a separate murder. But here's the interesting thing: if you flip from the previous page to this page, it's very clear that this is the. I think it's the same drawing, just like photocopied <laughs> yeah, or photocopied, so well. whatever. Yeah. So this guy is um, coming out of an elevator, and he comes across the body of a the dead body of a woman. But we can see that it looks to be the exact same woman, dressed the exact same way, red hair, everything. So she gets loaded, and by the way, if you're listening right now, I guarantee you're just as intrigued as I am. But anyway, so she, so the, the the girl gets loaded into the back of an ambulance. Then, just after the body's loaded in, all of a sudden the power goes out on the street. Then, power after a few moments, the power comes back on. Everything's back to normal. The ambulance drives away. The ambulance gets to the Gotham morgue. No body. Okay, you with me, yep. Mike Dell? Oh, I'm with you. Okay, okay. So then now the third uh, third person, this is the girl. What's her name again? Faye K? Uh, K-Day, I believe. K-Day, okay. K-Day, Faye K, whatever. <laughs> so she is um, watching a movie, She's or she's watching uh, Murder on the, on the New York Express. And well, I guess well, Michael, she... the, the key point is it's the movie premiere of one of her novels. Okay, okay. Yeah. That is the key to this yeah. whole thing. <laughs> so then she looks down... And there's a dead body in front of her in the theater in the exact same position at the exact same woman with the same outfit, same hair, everything. Yeah. So please come. The police load the, the dead body in the back of the ambulance. Then just as they're doing that, a, an overweight woman in the crowd <laughs> has, an, has a heart attack wow. and, or an apparent heart attack. Yeah. Then... Uh, then they load the body back into the car. They get to the morgue. Actually, do they show that here? Are they kind of uh, skip I don't... Over... Yeah, well, they just kind of... Yeah, they kind of imply it, right? Yeah. yeah, so then the, so then the narrator says, do you gentlemen see a pattern developing? And then Batman says, I noticed the pattern when Danton told me his story. Yeah. Uh, obviously, during these disturbances, the real body was switched for a fake of some kind. See, I never would have guessed that, but I'm... <laughs> I'm not the world's greatest detective, so it makes sense, well, right? Well, I knew it right away. Ah, <laughs> oh, well, that's what—that's the benefits of having an English degree, right? Yes, and I write mysteries for a living, so I'll, I'll be able to break this down a little bit later. <laughs> but right. I, do you actually write mysteries? Yes, and I edit mysteries and I publish mysteries. Get I do it all. I didn't know that. Okay. One nine books dot com, edit one nine dot com, bookchimp dot net. Good, all three of those. <laughs> all right. Okay. Okay. So this is all. This is all. This is all tired cliches to you. No, no, no. This is fine. It, no okay. problems here. But uh, I just like how he said. I noticed the pattern. The second. Yeah. Okay, Batman. Just calm down. Okay. Okay. You don't have to be bragging about it. So I'm sure everyone noticed. Yeah. So except me. Okay. So then. Um, <laughs> so then Batman shows how they. How they um. Now they go to the morgue and he shows how they faked showing the body underneath the blankets by showing these um uh like razor thin metal kind of like wires that you know create the shape of a body and then when you pull on them they just collapse and i guess that's something that magicians use right to make it look like there's a body underneath a sheet or whatever 
Yeah. So, so Batman knows right away, we better go to this uh, magician's club and investigate. Right. The Magic Palace nightclub. <laughs> then, just as that happens, Batman looks over and sees someone standing in the doorway. And he's like, now, if you excuse me, we've got some uninvited company, someone I'd like to speak to. So he starts running after this guy. And there's not really much of a fight here other than that Batman, just as he's catching him, this guy... Uh, throws some flash powder in his face and blinds him. Yes. Then, the, then the guy ends up getting away, and it's kind of funny because you see Batman <laughs> standing in this awkward pose, clenching his fists in anger because he can't run after him. Yeah, the, the guy's like two feet away from him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so then, so they decide to go to the magic, the, the club where all these magicians hang out at, mm-hmm. and they start interrogating uh, these people. And this is where it gets kind of tricky here because... So, okay, so this is where it gets confusing because this, is, this all depends on the color of people's shirts because, you know, it's a comic book. It's, it's hard to tell people <laughs> apart, but so he starts interrogating well, everybody. What's well, that? It, it shouldn't be hard to tell people apart if well, the art was a little better. <laughs> oh, we'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that later. Let's not skip ahead. So I assume that everyone's following along as they're listening so they can see everyone's face here. I mean, they're, dis- they're distinct enough, but in any case. <laughs> so he starts interrogating them. And basically, this one guy, what's his name? Uh, Bennett? Is it Bennett? Martin Monroe, the apprentice. Martin Monroe, right. So, Martin, okay, so basically, they say, okay, so there's three people here. The young lady is Lisa Morrow. She is a magician. The sultry psychic. Right. She's a psychic, a friend of Glenn's. And then there's Glenn Falkenstein, (laughs) is one of the top mentalists in the business, mind reading, that sort of thing. And of course, Martin Monroe, one of our junior magicians, an apprentice of Mr. Hampton. So then Batman says, tell me, which one of you would have reason to kill June Gold? And then uh, Monroe says, why you vigilante? Who do you think you are asking a question like that? And then I love this part, because then Commissioner Gordon says, Commissioner Gordon says he's an honorary police deputy, Mr. Monroe, and I am the police. Yeah, right. So then he co- then he cooperates because he realizes now, and this is a strange point in Batman history where yes, Batman was actually deputized by the law, right? So this oh, is a kind of a weird time. Yeah, just like in the TV show, in the old TV show, he was deputized. So it's kind of funny. But anyway, so then, so then, um, uh, so he, this guy does have an alibi. Someone saw him sitting in a restaurant while the murders were happening. The, the taciturn manager saw right. him uh, in, a, in the, the taciturn bar. manager, right? Which we talked about <laughs> the taciturn man earlier. So he saw him. So this guy's clean, right? So he's, so then he's like, besides, if you want a motive for June's murder, ask Lisa or Glenn, right? So he throws the trail off him. Then he says, "What about Hampton, Commissioner? He hated the girl, only kept her on because she was blackmailing him. Think it over. I must go now. I have things to do." So then Commissioner Gordon's like, see, this is what I mean. It's kind of hard to summarize. You kind of just got to, you might as well read the whole issue on the air, right? <laughs> it's, not that, it's not that hard to summarize. <laughs> so then, uh, so well, maybe if you were a writer, if you wrote mysteries. Like, you well, what I like is, uh, so then he goes looking at Glenn and the sultry psychic. And if you notice, Michael, in the top right panel of that one page there, right after he talks about the alibi for the other guy, uh, if you look at the sultry psychic, she's not wearing pants. Hold up. Which, which is this, page 12? <laughs> Uh, I never see page numbers on these. Okay. Um, oh, page 11. Page 11. Top right uh, panel. Like, it looks like she's dressed as, a, like, a magician's assistant or something. Like, she's not wearing pants and, like, looks like she has, like, stockings on. But she's just a... She's just... I don't know. She was just his friend. You know? She's not a magician's assistant. But I don't know. Wait, how come I can't... What page... This is page... Like, are you talking about the original comic page? 11. 11. Top right? right? It's the panel right after they talk about him being in the bar has his alibi. The taciturn manager says, oh, I saw him in the bar. Oh, the- yes. Now I see the fishnet stockings. Yeah. She's like not wearing pants. Yeah. I, well, I think that's just like it's almost like Black Canary. It's like, you know, it's like that's her magician's <laughs> outfit, I think. I don't but, know. But, she, but she's like not a performer. She's just kind of like Glenn's friend. Hanging out. Yeah. And she's not wearing pants. Mm. Maybe that's why she's sultry. Could be. Yeah. All right. Anyway, go ahead. So anyway, so back to this. So basically, um, so then Batman, uh, he's got a hunch. So then he's like, he's like, excuse me, Commissioner, I have something special to attend to alone. So then he, uh, so then he's like basically going off to uh, follow his hunch, but then he gets knocked out. Yeah, his hunch is that he, he saw K-Day 
the best-selling uh, mystery author, she's no longer with them. So he goes, hmm, I bet she snuck off to go investigate something. I better follow. And, yeah, he gets knocked out by a, 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 like a two-by-four to the back of the head. Right. What a great superhero this is. Well, this was back in the days when <laughs> Batman was not, you know, he like like this th- nowadays. This could never happen. Batman can beat any opponent. Opponent, he knows every form of martial arts, right? Yeah. Back then, he was getting captured left and right, right? So this was yeah, and, and that's let's look. We, we're like what twelve pages into the story. He's already been uh, hit in the face with uh, a flash uh, powder, that's true, that's true. and then knocked unconscious by a two by four, just by average dudes. Well, not like you know. The Riddler, the Joker, no, just average dudes. See, I like heroes that have weaknesses, you know, that have, there's a chance that they can lose the fight. You know what I mean? So that's why I like this. So that's <laughs> that's neither... fine if you're fighting someone, you know, worth fighting. But, you know, these are just dudes. These are just magicians, <laughs> yeah. What the hell's going on? So now Batman is tied up inside like a, a tank of water. And basically, here's the bad guy. He's in. He so this, so here's the bad guy. He's in shadows. So we don't know who it is. And he's basically explaining to Batman how he's going to die. And just as happened in the Mister Miracle comic, <laughs> yes, he he's too. He's like, oh, I can't be bothered to stay and wait to watch you die. I'm just going to go take <laughs> off. I got something else to do. So he's like, I have a performance to give you. See, the show must go on. But don't worry, I'll be back later to dispose of Miss Day. So then he just leaves him, right? Yeah, because K Day is tied up at the base of the tank. Right, right. So now this this is you know this is an interesting suspenseful sequence. Unfortunately, I gotta admit this is my least favorite part of the story because I Uh would like to see Batman you know use his brains to get out of this, but instead he just basically uses you know he just breaks his way out by pressing on the glass, which isn't really much of an escape artist if you ask me. But whatever, that's fine. So he breaks out, and uh, then he goes out on stage and interrupts um, which magician? Oh, this is Martin Monroe. So he comes out, and he's like, "You're under arrest for murder one, but Batman, impossible." So then he knocks him out. So there you go. There's your fist to cuss for the issue, right? But then of course yeah. he. So but then, again, he's Batman punching a magician's assistant, and he doesn't knock him out. Come on, you're Batman. Uh, Let's go. He's, maybe he's supposed to be an average, you know, sized, average strength guy at this point. Maybe he's not, you know, the Ben Affleck Batman yet. But they know. still draw him like he's real muscular. And this magician's assistant, like maybe a buck 30, buck 40 yeah, tops. Making excuses here. Yeah. So he subdues him. And it's funny because the guy actually tries to fight him with uh, his, his the, that old trick of the jacket. <laughs> what is that? A jacket full of, what are those sparrows? What, what are the birds <laughs> that magicians have? Usually they're doves. Oh, doves, right. But yeah, they're painted yellow, so yeah. um, usually doves aren't yellow. Maybe they've just been in that coat a long time. And then he yeah. has more flash powder up his sleeve, and he, he like turns into fire and stuff. Oh. This, this magician's tricky. Mm-hmm. So basically, he does the old punch him in the gut, knock the wind out of him trick, then, then uppercuts him in the jaw. And, look, and then, look at the size of that arm on that uppercut. Yeah, it's a good size arm. <laughs> it's enormous. And then, yeah, and then he, and then the guy almost thinks he's going to get um, his head cut off with a guillotine. It, but this makes no sense. But Wait, he's a magician. Insane. Yeah, he's a magician. He knows it's not a real guillotine. <laughs> yet well, he's terrified. It's just like you know, it's like, and uh, in, in the heat of the moment, he forgot. That's that's what I think is happening. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> See, you've, you've written and read a lot of mysteries, mystery novels. I've read a lot of comic books, okay? So I can explain to you how the logic works in comic books. This is how it works, okay? You right. just go with it. You just go with it. <clears throat> okay. So then, now that he's been subdued, and again, we can tell these are two different guys because this guy has a blue shirt and the other guy has a kind of a purplish <laughs> shirt, right? So yeah, that's really talking. the only way you could tell them apart. <laughs> that's true. This is true. So basically, now we're going to wrap up the mystery, right? And we're going to see because up until this point, Mike Dell, I have no idea what's going on. I'm like, how is Batman going to solve this crime? I have no clue. Okay, so if you're listening, audience, this is what happened, okay? I love it. So this guy, what's it, what is it, Monroe? He, he basically took the dead body of the girl, right? Yep. And yep. he planted it. And these three different scenes, yep. then he made the the body disappear only because he knew that that would attract the attention of Batman, yes. so that he would invest the mur- investigate the murders and find out 
who was the culprit of the real murder. Yes. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> and, and apparently he showed up at their little meeting and got Batman to chase him to throw the flash powder in his face and escape just so he could, uh, Batman would realize he's not trying to hurt them. He's not trying to kill, he's not a killer. That's, that's right, and that's right. He, that's when he realized that he was part of it, sort of in on it, like that guy was in on it, yeah. And, and, Batman, and Batman just says uh, that he recognized them all along, even in the darkness from his, uh, um, you know, his posters and stuff from the Magic Club. But we never see Batman see those posters this is all just knowledge that batman has that he doesn't share with the reader at all it's kind of a cheat yeah it's <laughs> kind of a cheat okay not good i'll give you that so then basically that's it that's the end of the story well then batman. they have uh they say well what about uh oh right 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 his, his alibi that the bad guy's alibi and batman just says oh well it was a, it was an illusion and you know he, magicians never reveal their secrets not even in prison so that's right. So leave leave them wanting more, right? <laughs> this is leave, terrible. Leave, no, leave no Mike L. Wanting more. Yep. Go is ahead. This is what Batman was like back here. Like this well, kind of nonsense. I can only say this. Okay, this was written by a certain Jerry Conway, who yeah. we only recently reviewed a story that he wrote. Right? We reviewed his issue of uh, Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, which was great with Craven and the Gibbon. Right. So here's the thing. I'm actually just gonna jog ahead to the issue ahead the, the issue after this because i don't know who wrote it but i'm just going to check right now it wasn't I, conway it no wasn't. no it wasn't conway i know that because he this was like um conway was, conway did 295 this is his first one and then he didn't come back to batman until 305 and 306 okay so the next issue i can only say that yes this is probably what batman was like at the time like the next issue was by written by david v reed who i've never even heard of and then the issue before it, I don't know. I'm going to find out in a minute. But here's the thing is that uh, it's safe to say Batman was pretty much like this at the time. It was that like terrible. <laughs> Batman was uh, somewhat, you know, around the time of Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams, they tried to make him, you know, the Avenger of the night and all that stuff. But even when you go back and read those stories, they're not great, right? And I think by this point, because this, what year is this? I don't even know what year 78. So by this point, Batman was slowly creeping back to being the Adam West Batman, I think. And it wasn't and it wasn't really until like there was there was definitely some good stories in this era, but it wasn't really until Frank Miller rebooted Batman in 86. Right. That Batman became the Batman that we know today. So it was definitely well, I'm, time. I don't mind the Adam West Batman because you know why? He always fought supervillains, not okay. just guys at a magic club. Well, you can't have Joker and Penguin every issue, right? No, you really can't, because he has like an enormous rogues gallery of villains, you know? Uh, I don't mind it, though. I don't. I mean, you could argue that this story, you could take Batman out and put any superhero in, right? You could argue that. I well, mean, Batman... I, no, I don't think so, because this is a mystery and he is a detective, so it makes okay. sense in that sense. Okay. But I, I think the problem is you see this, this great Batman matching wits with a couple of dopes from a magic club. Yeah. Oh, we should say, by the way, the motive for the guy, why he killed that, the lady he killed was the uh, main magician's assistant. And he yes. tried to frame that main magician as the murderer so then he could take his job at the, as the top magician. Right. Uh, so that was the motive for this nefarious crime. But, um, now, Mike, go ahead, go ahead. There's a big problem here at this plot. Uh, that? So we're supposed to believe that this Mike, this Hampton guy, the main magician who was being framed, he, he, he sees the dead body of his lady, his friend, his assistant. And he's like, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take this dead body, go around town, create three scenarios for, for these murder analysts of Gotham to attract their attention. And then I will pick up this dead body. St Steal it out of an ambulance, take it across to another spot in town, drop it off, create this fiasco, this uh, distraction, everything, wait for them to load it into the, the ambulance, steal this dead body out of the ambulance, carry it around town again, put it in a third spot, steal it out of the ambulance again. It's insanity. A magician never gives away his tricks, okay? No, we don't know no how trick. he did it. There's a dead body that you have to carry around to three different places. There is no trick. That's it. That's what you got to do. <laughs> it just makes no sense. Here's the thing. This is what I'll, I'll say about this story, is that if we accept that this was written for a younger audience, 
Like, what if this was in the form of a cartoon? Like, would you? Would it you would be still more... be terrible. No, <laughs> be stop, stop. This is brutal. I. It, it, but what? Re, it's interesting to read this though, because you do get insight into why Batman was so bad, and he needed to be like rejuvenated. Rebooted. Yeah, because this. I don't know don't why forget, anyone would want to read this stuff. But this is one issue by Jerry Conway. Like, it's not like Jerry Conway was the regular writer at that time. So we have no idea. Now, the fact that the writer before this and after this, we haven't even heard of. Dave yes. Green, I mean, it probably wasn't much better, but. I think that could you. I've been reading a lot of Bronze Age comics lately. And at the very least, the reason I like this is because at least there is a mystery. It's not just yeah. fisticuffs. You know what I mean? Do, do you want me yeah. to get into breakdown mystery plotting for you? Go ahead. How this sure. works. All right. Now, uh, the structure of the story is pretty good in terms of the mystery because it's only like 17 pages. So you can't right. do too much. But right. they, he broke it up into three uh, chapters. And there are different ways you can plot a mystery. Some people do three. I prefer to do a four arc structure for okay. a mystery. But this is in three. So basically in the first arc or chapter in this one, you set the stage. You know, you, you, you reveal what the crime is, you, what has to be investigated. Then in the second chapter, you do the actual investigation. And then it ends on a low note for your hero. And then in the third arc, he comes and he beats the, uh, the villain, you know. So that's mm -hmm. basically what you're doing here. Now, I like to do a four arc structure. Sure. Where the first thing you do is you don't open. It's not an actual official part of the arc. You open with a hook. Sure. With a little hook, like five pages to catch the reader's attention. And you get that here in this issue where Batman's beating up those three criminals. That's your sure. hook. So you sure. get a little bit of that. Then your first arc is you, uh, you know, you introduce the scene, the characters, and you, you, get, you get your murder. Usually the you find a dead body. So you know what the crime is. Now your protagonist, your detective, he has to go and decide, to, all right, I'm going to solve this case. The second arc is where he does his investigation. He starts the investigation, but things are pretty passive. He's just in, he's uh, looking for clues. He's mm -hmm. finding stuff out. He's interviewing people, but he's not really taking too much action yet. And uh, then at the end of the arc uh, two, usually there's a second dead body, and mm -hmm. and that dead body will put the detective back to square one. Like he looked like he was looking in a certain direction, like, oh, this suspect might be it. And then usually that suspect ends up dead. So he's like, fuck, I got to start over. Sure. So then the third arc, the action picks up, it becomes more intense. Your detective uh, becomes more proactive. He's mm -hmm. out there doing stuff and getting stuff done. He's no longer following the book. He's, he's working on his instincts, his gut, his gut feelings. But then at the end of the third act, Michael, the, uh, <laughs> your, your hero, your protagonist, your detective, he suffers a huge setback. Mm -hmm. and something where it's like oh all hope is lost you know it's like oh shit and i guess in this thing it's batman being stuck in that water tank You're like oh no you know how do i get out of here then in the fourth and final arc you have your hero uh, muster all his forces he comes together he rises up he solves the crime he beats the villain and then you end with a coda uh, with like a couple pages of just summarizing everything, explaining it, how he solved it, and that kind sure. of thing. And then you send them all home happy. But that's the four arc structure of a mystery. Here, Jerry Conway is using a three arc structure just because of the limited page count. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have a lot of room. But when you're watching mystery movies or TV shows, Michael, if you keep that in mind, you can usually figure out what's happening. You know, sure. like you'll see the site. You'll see. Oh well, yeah, this is what's going on here, and. Mm -hmm. Oh, that guy's got to be the killer. But keep that four arc structure in mind when you're watching that stuff, and it'll help you out. Oh well, I mean, I've, I haven't studied mysteries specifically, but I've definitely studied screenplays and story structures. So I know what you mean. Like you can see, especially nowadays in Hollywood, you can see like the formulas, right? Like as you're watching, you're like, oh, okay, so this is where you know the hero does something that's going to get him that's going to cause him this to happen or whatever you know, you can see it coming because it's like they're just checking checklisting right yeah but that, that's the great thing about mysteries is it is very formulaic but mm -hmm. uh the genius comes in making it seem like it's not you sure know, like sure yeah putting a new spin on each one so people mm -hmm. say oh it's so restrictive but actually it, it leads to more creativity if you're stuck inside a box you got to figure out ways sure. to do things you know so sure. so i like about the mysteries but yeah so this is a pretty standard structure for a mystery um but again because the limited space you can't really do too much mm -hmm. but um so in that sense it was all right 
<laughs> um, well, that's the thing is that I get more like in the, like I said, I've been reading tons of, of Bronze Age comics lately, and I love them all. But I see more like don't get me wrong. I understand that the premise is ridiculous. Like the actual the actual uh, believability of how he could pull this off is preposterous. But I, I'm just I guess I appreciate the fact that there even is a mystery versus most of the comics where I'm reading where you know what is really the story there's not like for example the fantastic four with the the golden gorilla like, <laughs> the big monkey yeah the big monkey that was brutal it's like now i know why <laughs> i never read like that's why everyone comes down on the era in between kirby and john Byrne, right and now i understand why it's like well how come i never read those now i know why because if they're all like that you know it's kind of the same thing i guess you're saying about this don't distract from the garbage that is batman by bringing in a big monkey story Oh, that, you got me. You got me. Okay, so 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 let me ask you this. What story was better? The Amazing Spider-Man by Jerry Conway that we read or this oh. Batman comic by Jerry Oh, Conway? the Spider-Man by Leaps and Bounds. It had Craven, the, the Hunter, and Gibbon. It was amazing. Gibbon, the Gibbon. Always the yeah. Gibbon. You, you actually think this is better than that Spider-Man we did? I don't. I enjoyed the other one but more, but I think this has a better story. No. I think so. <laughs> No way. Okay. So, All right. Let's talk Jerry Conway. Sure. Um, we already broke him down uh, when we did that Spider-Man issue, so we don't have to get into all that again. Sure. But this was, uh, he was 26 years old here. Wow. In 78. And this was after the Spider-Man run and all that. He left Marvel when he came to DC. And this was the first issue of Batman he ever wrote. He did 25 issues total from 1978 to 1983. And uh, he did 30 issues of Detective Comics from 76 to 83. So he does have a history here with Batman. Uh, he created Killer Croc and Jason Todd. Mm -hmm. And from what I was reading, Michael, people were saying they were crediting Jerry Conway with marvelizing Batman. Because okay. apparently this first issue, this was basically standard for this era. Batman, would they'd be all self-contained one-issue stories. Mm, okay. There'd, there'd, be a, there'd be a problem. Batman would solve it by the end. And what? And this is a perfect example of that. But I guess in his later work, like we said, he came back 10 issues later to do two mm -hmm. issues. And then he, there was like another eight or 10 issues span where he wasn't around. And then he came back for um, maybe nine issues or so. He had two pretty extended runs. But in those extended runs, he made it more like Marvel with uh, more subplots. Right. Um, the stories would go over many issues. There would be arcs that would span many issues, not just be mm -hmm. wrapped up in one. So people seem to enjoy that aspect of it. Did you, did you read more Jerry Conway later? Yes, on? I read, and I believe those were the ones drawn by people like Gene Colon and Don Newton. Yes. And I, and I, yeah, and I remember, I think it even crossed back and forth between Batman and Detective, if I remember correctly. But I did re really enjoy those. Yeah, that was when, like, there was all these running subplots, like that's when Jason Todd was introduced, and uh, that's when, I think that was when he wasn't in the Batcave. Wasn't he in his... Wayne, the the ta the Wayne Tower or whatever that weird building with like the tree in the middle or whatever. Anyway, I don't even I don't <laughs> I even know no what I'm talking about, but yeah, it was. I remember really liking them. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's uh, we'll have to cover one of those later. But anyway, can't wait. All right, you'll see. You're in for it. <laughs> a building with a tree in it. I'm excited now. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else about Jerry Conway and Batman that comes to mind? Uh, not really. Um, other than yeah, you know, I mean. He definitely didn't write Batman after the Frank Miller reboot, so he's it's definitely a product of you know pre-crisis DC continuity. So, but I think I think it's good stuff. So I highly I highly recommend it. From what I was gathering, uh, this era, Jerry Conway's era, was kind of referred to as the forgotten era of Batman because, like you said, it came before Frank Miller, right, and after he was very popular. So yeah, yeah kind of forget. And I think if this. Well, I don't want to judge Jerry Conway's work on Batman from this issue because mm -hmm. I'm sure it's much different than what this was. So, yeah, he was probably he's probably writing according to the the formula of the day, and also it was Julius Schwartz who's, you know, he's a '60s editor, so he was yeah. probably writing in that style. But and anyway. and again, this is his first issue on the book, and it's right in the like you know he's not a, a continual run; it's just one issue. Right. Dropped in the middle, so he had to do whatever they were doing. So I'm not right. going to judge Conway on this. Although I think we could judge his dialogue if we look at it. Yeah, it's not spectacular. Let's, uh, 
there's a couple things I want to mention here. Well, we already talked about the thing on the cover, but we can't blame him for that because I'm sure. Mm. Uh, but on page two, uh, okay. we got the we got the crooks, right? The three crooks. We got the cash. We're just about oh. home free. With those alarm circuits cut, ain't no way no cops gonna catch us tonight. Man, we are winners. And then the next panel, wrong, losers. <laughs> yeah, that's bad. That's really bad. Um. Anyway, I can't I can't make excuses for that. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and then just the way they introduce the. Uh, crime analysts of Gotham Club and mm-hmm. the way Batman is just kind of standing there with his arm on the dude's shoulder and mm-hmm. it's just come of the things he's saying here it's it's pretty stiff and awkward um, but yeah you know whatever <laughs> it is what it is it's 1978 what the hell mm-hmm. what can you do so there you go Jerry Conway alright Michael <laughs> okay. uh, the, the uh, artwork yes uh, Michael Talk Golden now yes. I was unfamiliar with Michael Golden I uh, when you mentioned him last week, I was like, yeah, I don't remember. But then uh, when you mentioned some of his credits, and when I saw his art here, I'm like, oh, well, this bit looks vaguely familiar. But this is his first comic book work. This is Ever, his first yes. issue with DC. Uh, he started out in commercial art, and he entered comics in 1977 at the age of 22. Mm. And he only did one other Batman issue. That was issue 303. His big, his biggest runs in the comic book business were Micronauts, one through right. twelve, and 1979, and that's what I remember. Uh, I remember the Micronauts. Now explain the Micronauts to people, Michael, who may not remember. Micronauts was a toy line mm-hmm. um, that basically Marvel had the license to, and so it's kind of like Transformers and GI Joe. They were tasked with creating a backstory, so they're kind of just. It's hard to explain what they're, but they're this mismatched group of you know, people or aliens or whatever. And uh, the backstory is that they exist in this microscopic universe. Yes. And uh, I think the reason that they call them Micronauts is because I think the original idea was is that they were, the characters were the, supposed to be the size that they were in the toy or something. I think that might have been the original explanation. But then in the comic, it was, no, they're actually, like, microscopic. And then when they come to our world, they, they grow to become our size, right? Something like that. Yeah. It's almost like – and there's, like, a the bad guy is kind of Darth Vader-esque. He's got, like, this funky kind of armor look to him. I don't really know much about them, but I do know that, it was, you know, it was a long-running series, maybe 60 issues. Then there was a second volume for, like, 20 or 30 issues, I think. And um, – the some of like whatever elements of the continuity that Marvel created or Bill Mantlo created, they Marvel kept like the dire rates, I think, and a few other things. Like Marvel has kept those things around and used them in their other comics. But um, once Marvel lost the license, now they I don't think they can even reprint those those uh, Micronaut comics. So there's really no way to get them other than if you get them in back issue bins. But uh, I, it wasn't. It was. It was a good selling comic at the time, but it wasn't really respected. But I think nowadays it's, you know, the, because of the Internet, it's kind of grown like a cult following. That's pretty much all I know about it. And the only Micronauts I had was uh, they did a crossover with the X-Men. And That's right. X-Men and the Micronauts. And I can't remember anything about that story because I thought it was I, I didn't like it, I guess. Okay, <laughs> but I, okay. I did have it. Um, and like we said, that was in 1979. That all happened. The Micronauts once through 12. And then he did the NOM or the NAM, depending on yes. how you want to say it, uh, 1 to 11, and then issue 13, and that was 1986 to 87. And the NAM uh, actually became, the, was the basis for the TV show Tour of Duty. Come on. Is that yeah. true? Yeah, because right before the show, I was watching a little video with Michael Golden. He was giving a talk at a comic book, and he was just going through his resume, and he said, yeah, it became the, the basis for Tour of Duty, the TV show. How the heck did I not know that? Wow, okay. How about that? So, yeah. yeah. Interesting. He, he did a lot of cover work, um, probably did more covers than interior work. Because mm-hmm. really, Micronauts in the Gnome, that was basically his longest runs on any book. He would do sp- sporadic issues here and there, but those were his two uh, lengthiest runs. But he did a lot of covers for uh, Detective Comics, Nightwing, G.I. Joe, Punisher War Journal, She-Hulk, a bunch of other stuff. A lot of covers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and they're honestly... Just a lot of them are stunning because he got into a phase where he was painting everything, and the I think the art is just absolutely stunning. If you've never seen it, 
Uh, he also did Transformers number two, the cover for that, Michael. So you must be excited about that. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, sure. yeah, for sure. Uh, he also created Bucky O'Hare with Larry Hama. Yep. I've got a collection of that. <laughs> really? Well, well, explain Bucky O'Hare for people. Oh, boy. I don't know anything about it because I've never had the heart to crack the cover. I don't know anything about it. I just bought it because it was Michael Golden, so I can't help you there. Wow. Well, it's yeah. a it's a green rabbit, and he's, like, uh, from outer space or something, and him and his animal buddies are fighting some other group of, like, um, some some world run by computers or something. Okay. That's Bucky O'Hare. Um and then he also uh, did. He drew Avengers Annual Ten, and that's significant because he co-created Rogue with Chris right. Claremont. That's right. That's true. So that's pretty good. Uh, I think he was the in the ni- early '90s. He was like a DC special events editor or something like that, a special projects editor. Really, I didn't know that. Okay. And then at the end of the '90s, he was Marvel's senior art director. That's right. Which is which is a position that John Romita Senior held for years. And I don't, I don't think Michael Golden lasted long in that position, did he? He didn't say. Okay, I don't think he lasted long. And honestly, I don't even know if that position exists now. But, but in any case, I think he'd be perfect for it, though, personally. But whatever. And, and again, I don't want to be too critical of his art here. He's, what, 22, 23, mm-hmm. and it's his first issue of Batman, first work in comics. So it is what it is. You, know? you, can, you can see there's stuff there that's potential. But, I, yeah, I really wasn't too fond of it. Um, I know... Um, they say uh, he influenced Arthur Adams, and I think you mentioned that last week. Right. Absolutely, um, yeah. But I think looking at this issue, Michael, right away, first page, as soon as I open it, I'm like, oh, this looks like uh, Alan Davis. You know what's funny? I noticed that, too. And this is – I've never, ever seen Alan Davis in his work, but especially when you just look at Batman, right? It, like, Yeah. But it, even, like, the faces, the spacing of some of the faces and – Okay. Like, yeah, this – really looks like Alan Davis to me. I mean, I think maybe, I mean, Alan Davis was a little bit later, so maybe Alan Davis was influenced by his inking style, but I think that um, Alan Davis's figures are more, I guess you could say, graceful. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no comparing this issue with anything Alan Davis, but you can see hints of Alan Davis. Right, right. Uh, How he drew draw some hands, some faces, Mm -hmm. and... Uh, and I did a search. I, I searched for Alan Davis influenced by Michael Golden and nothing came up. So I don't know. Anyways. Well, it, it's just like um, it's just like McFarlane. It's like when I first saw Michael Golden, I was like, oh, that's I mean, I, I think I saw Michael Golden first. But when I went back and looked at his stuff, I saw a lot of McFarlane like I there. I can I didn't notice McFarlane right away. But then now now that you mentioned it, looking back, um, like when you see that guy running away from Batman. Yep. It definitely looks like McFarlane. Or even like, like, sorry, go ahead. Well, because the anatomy isn't exactly, because McFarlane was never great with anatomy either, no. even in his heyday. Um, uh, faces would look like they're made of putty sometimes, like, not, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, and yeah, so I, I get that sense here. You, you do, you can detect some of that here. Well, even like for me, it was, you know, the scene of the ambulance driving into the shot the first time, the first murder you see, that to me looks like McFarlane, just like this sort of overemphasis on drawing the, the lights flashing and stuff like that. Just those little flourishes is something that McFarlane would do. All right. You know, um, all, all, and the thing is, is that I do love Michael Golden, but as the years have gone by, I realized, I think I like his covers more than his interior art. Because he doesn't really have a comic background, and I think his storytelling is yes. probably not as good as most professional artists. Yeah, and, and again, this is his first issue, so I don't want to right. be too harsh. But there were some panels where it's like, it seemed like the dialogue didn't actually, or the dialogue had to cover up for a gap in the art, if you know what I'm yeah, saying. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like explaining something you couldn't figure out by looking at the art, yeah. Yes. And um, also, his, and this is something, um, now I met, Chris Sprouse many times. Are you familiar with Chris Sprouse? I am not. Okay, so he is one of my favorite artists. And when I met him, I found out that Michael Golden was his favorite artist as well. And so one thing Chris Sprouse said is that Michael Golden's people are not attractive. Like, if you look at these figures, they're like, he doesn't give yeah. a shit if these people yes. look good. Whereas, like, say, yeah. John Romita. Like, John Romita, the women are beautiful, the men are all handsome. But if you look at these figures, it's like he doesn't care. It's like, it's like you said, they're all grotesque. Like they're, A lot of the faces, they look unfinished. Like, right, right. Um, 
like that young, uh, the sultry psychic. You look at her. Look at the space between her eyes. Like there's <laughs> like the opening page. You mean? And just any of, but uh, yeah, especially the one backstage where they go to the club. There's at least three eye widths between her eyes. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's pretty bad, and a lot of like you mentioned, a lot of the like the main guy and the apprentice look very similar, and unless they're you can just tell them apart because of the different colored shirts, mm. you know. Um, so yeah, I think the the other thing too is I think um, the key thing with him is his sense of design. Like um, even if you look at um, it's one of the early pages. Oh yeah, okay. So when Batman first jumps onto those hoodlums, right when they're, mm. they're the three guys with the guns, you notice like the third panel when he grabs that one guy and the guy drops the gun, like if you look at the way his cape sort of wrap, you're looking at that, the way it wraps up and then there's like black underneath. You see yep. that? Like that's yep. something that McFarlane absolutely imitated, but he never, but w when McFarlane did it, the cape didn't look like it, it could exist in real three-dimensional space, whereas this does, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> so, but then, <laughs> no, no, no. but then you look I'm at the bottom panel yeah. and it's like, it's just that shot of Batman turning and looking at Commissioner Gordon. It just looks so awkward. You know what I mean? <laughs> Commissioner Gordon's beckoning him. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, it's such an awkward, yeah. Like, I don't know. I guess it's, my guess is that this seems like a guy that probably was not a comics fan. Like most comic book artists, you know, they grow up reading other, you know, it's like, oh, well, my favorite artist is Jack Kirby or Jim Lee. So I'm going to draw like them. But this guy just seems like he just came out of uh, commercial art and he just happened to be able to, to draw well enough to do comics, but he doesn't have a comics background. So it's almost like he's just learning as he goes, you know? Yeah. And uh, I, I believe I read that at one point he said, now who knows if he still feels this way or not, but he said he enjoyed commercial art more than comics. That's probably true. Yeah. He um, does like, and I've met him several times. He doesn't seem to have a real passion for comics or superheroes. No, like just the little video I watched before the show, he seemed very in tune with business and yeah. making money, and <laughs> yeah. not so much about. He didn't really care too much. It seemed about comics or creating art for comics. He just wanted those checks to cash. That seemed to be all he cared about. <sighs> So. I, I don't want to sabotage any future interviews I might do with them, so I'm not going <laughs> to comment, but you might be right. But, like, I guess the best way to describe this art in here is um, maybe unfinished, or it, it almost looks like it's it needs another work, like another revision. <laughs> like, if you look at page 11, I don't yeah, know if you still have the book open, Michael. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's right after the taciturn manager it talks about the alibi. Uh, so the fourth panel... It's a good shot of Batman, a really good shot of Batman. But then, like, you look at the logo on his chest. It's very small. It's not even centered, you know? Yeah. Yep. That's a good point. But but otherwise, <laughs> it, that's a great shot of Batman. But that's the kind I'm talking about. Like, the little details, like, even the faces, like, it almost looks like, oh, I'll just scribble this in here. I'll just do this. Who cares if it looks good? I'll just eh, put it in there. And mm -hmm. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> so not a fan of this but again it's his first work mm -hmm. so what can you say you know cut him some slack like look at page uh page 12 when batman's underwater in the water tank like the second panel there yeah that to me is a great shot like you see like the the water you know bisecting his you know half of his face and then just like the muscle all looks right. Like everything looks good there. I think, I, I think uh, the stuff in the water tank when he's escaping, that's the best stuff in this book. Yeah. Yeah. Like look, even below that, when he's holding his breath, look at his face, how good it looks. But then if you go to the top left panel, what the hell is that? Eh? Like that looks like garbage. Like, I don't know if that's intentional because of distortion of the water, but it doesn't look good at all. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But I, I think uh, <clears throat> the big problem here were the faces. That's uh, really, especially the women. <laughs> they were not looking attractive at all. <laughs> but and then the big arm when he punches the guy—that is an yep. enormous arm. I'm looking at that right now. Uh, it's just, but again, who cares? It, 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 I, I don't want to get too caught up in anatomy. Like, uh, sure. oh, it's got to be perfect. It, it, the big thing is the emotion it caught, you know, inspired. Sure. And so, who cares? But whatever. Uh, all right, so there it is, Michael. Anything else you want to say about Michael Golden? You're a big fan, so what's your favorite Michael Golden work? Um, well, Do you have a memorable cover? 
Oh, well, his G.I. Joe covers. So if for anyone who, who's read G.I. Joe, you'll know these covers, but the famous one of, I believe it's Clutch and Roadblock, they've just arrested Cobra Commander. Oh, Cobra. yeah. Yeah, see? That's, That's one. a very famous cover, yeah. Yes, it's a great one. There's another one, not, not as famous, but it's Destro. He's sort of um, sitting in one of those Cobra vehicles or tanks, and he's shooting. It's kind of hard to describe. It's not nearly as memorable, but everyone, but it's kind of like a battle scene, but it's really well done. The other really famous one he did was he did the cover and the back cover and the interiors of G.I. Joe yearbook number two. And I don't know if you remember this, but the cover, oh, geez, the cover was not as famous as the back because the back cover was like a pinup shot of, um, of Cobra. All right, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. Oh, isn't it beautiful? Like, I'm not sure if it was yearbook number one or number two that had that. But are you, you, you can see it right now. Like, yeah, because G.I. Joe yearbook number one was him. It was them all standing in front of the Sky Striker. And yearbook number two was a shot of Roadblock at Snake Eyes. Uh, who is that? Torpedo, Lady J, and Ripcord all shooting. And it's just a great shot. And if you, I think the back cover of that one is the Cobra shot. Yeah, no, no, sorry. Number G.I. Joe Yearbook number one has the Cobra pose on the back. That, to me, that's Michael Golden at his peak right there. That's just p perfect, you know? Their poses, the color, the muscles, everything. I love it. Yeah, it just got a big uh, Cobra emblem in the middle, and uh, they're posed beneath it, and then you got, like, the different airplanes and helicopters and stuff up above right. it. Yeah, and it's very good. It's excellent. And G.I. Joe Yearbook number two, he did the interiors, and that's probably my favorite interiors that he did. And the cover on G.I. Joe, your book number two, is, is excellent as well. Yeah. And also I should point out, um, it's probably not available online, but if you get a chance to look at the inside of G.I. Joe, your book number two, it's actually the basis for the first appearance of Cable by um, Rob Liefeld. Really? Yeah. If you like, you, you You'd have to Google Cable Roadblock, and you can see the side-by-side -side shot. And it's it, it's obviously a swipe. Um, he basically just uh, uh, what's his name Lightfell just copied and pasted basically you know, <laughs> pretty brutal. Um, and then if, well, and it's funny because then if you flip the inside of uh, JJ Yearbook number two, there's a there's a pinup of um, the October Guard, and he used he copied that image for a poster he did of I think X Force. So he basically just kept going back to this same issue over and over again to just swipe all the uh, the images, you know? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Oh, I see you sent it to me too. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, he definitely swiped it. Yeah. What uh, a bum. All right. So there you go. Yeah, at least uh, since we're doing Bronze Age, we won't get into Liefeld. Well, he did start late 80s, 80, 89, so you never know, Mike. Dull. Really? You never oh, know. No. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So there it is, Bat Batman 295 from 1978. One out of ten, Michael. Uh, okay. I'll be honest. I'll give it a six. I'll give it a oh, six. Wow. Yeah. What do you give it? Uh, I'll, I'll be generous and I'll give it a three. <laughs> um, okay. I, just because I like the fact that it was at least uh, structured as a mystery, you know, sure. and I like mysteries. So I'll get a point for that. And uh, I'll give it a point for, you know, I don't know, <laughs> a water tank. <laughs> I don't there you go. Well deserved. Yeah, I swear to God, Mike, if we get one more book with a Houdini water torture tank trick, I'm done. I'm going to go out of my way to find one. <laughs> Just to put us both out of our misery. <laughs> <laughs> so, Batman. I know we're going to have more Batman issues in the future, I'm sure. Definitely. Let's, let's pick a good one. You know, let's, let's find a good one. Uh, let's see what I can do. All right. Well, next next week, Michael, I believe we will have a guest on the show. Okay. And, uh, it'll be another... Uh, oh, we'll keep it a surprise. <laughs> but uh, the issue we'll be doing is Incredible Hulk 334 from 1987, I believe. 334. All right. Perfect. And that is... Written by Peter David and drawn by Todd McFarlane. Yes, that was my absolute favorite Hulk team. Those are two people we have not discussed here on the show in depth. So we will be. I've never really read Peter David. I Get can't. out of town, really. I mean, I, I guess I, I read that issue of the Hulk with Wolverine where he fights Wolverine. Oh, yeah. But other than Toxic. that, 
you know, I, I really can't think of anything I've read by Peter David. So this will be interesting for me to learn about Peter, because I know you're a big fan, right? Yeah, absolutely. Huge fan. So why did you pick this issue? Uh, he picked it at first. He was going to do something from uh, Spider-Man, and but I was like, but then he mentioned the Hulk, and I'm like, yeah, we haven't done a Hulk issue, so do Hulk. Uh, so we we're looking for something in the '70s, but he had never read any of that stuff. So I'm like, oh, he liked the Peter David run. So I'm like, all right, well, that's fine. Take, pick something from there, and uh, he wanted to go for a self-contained story. Gotcha. Because he said most of them were like continuing long stories, and I guess. Sure. 333 and 334 were like self-contained, so he, he went with 334. Interesting. So, okay. There you go. Perfect. Looking forward to it because I'm in the middle of reading the Peter David run right now. So. Yeah. There we go. All right. So I guess that wraps up this week's episode of Flea Market Fantasy. As we always say, please feel free to share your comments on YouTube or Facebook or Spotify. I don't think there's a way to share comments on Spotify, is there? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> but if you do want to share comments, feel free to email us at mail at comicbooksyndicate.com and let us know what you think of our reviews. Let us know what you think of the comics we're reviewing. And I guess that's about it. You got anything else to say, Mike Dell? Uh, no. Thanks for asking. <laughs> okay. There you go, folks. So until next Tuesday night, this has been Flea Market Fantasy. See you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.